and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast, Two Sober Chicks. Welcome back. Welcome to Tradition 3's podcast. Tradition 3 for you and me. Yep. We're at Tradition 3. I should sing it in a country voice. Tradition 3's for you and me. Yep, we're at Tradition 3. I don't know what southern accent that was. Um, but I love the south. And I love southerners so much. Southerners, y'all are the best. Um, just saying. Okay. So, today we're going to look at Tradition 3. What is Tradition 3, Julie? Great question, listener. Tradition 3 is my favorite tradition, and it says the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. That doesn't mean someone that has stopped drinking. It means a desire to stop drinking. So sober and drunk alike are welcome at our meetings. The day that we are not open to people that can't stop drinking is the day we die. So in the 12 and 12, which is the 12 traditions, 12 steps and 12 traditions, which is our sister text to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in the second half of the book are the 12 traditions. And there is long forms and commentaries on them. So the long form of tradition three is our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover. Nor ought AA membership ever depend upon money or conformity. Any two or three alcoholics gathered together for sobriety may call themselves an AA group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliation. Let's read Tradition 3, shall we? Once again, the what we read at the meetings, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. This is page 139 of the 12th and 12th. I gotta start talking quieter, more softly, slower, maybe not. This tradition is packed with meaning. For AA is really saying to every serious drinker, you are an AA member if you say so. You can declare yourself in. Nobody can keep you out. No matter who you are, no matter how low you've gone, no matter how grave your emotional complications, even your crimes, we still can't deny you AA. We don't want to keep you out. We aren't a bit afraid you'll harm us, never mind how twisted or violent you may be. Well, I may be a little bit afraid. We just want to make sure that you get the same great chance for sobriety that we've had. So, you're an AA member the minute you declare yourself one. To establish this principle of membership took years of harrowing experience. In our early time, nothing seemed so fragile, so easily breakable as an AA group. Hardly an alcoholic we approached paid any attention. Most of those who did join us were like flickering candles in a windstorm. Time after time, their uncertain flames blew out and couldn't be relighted. Our unspoken, constant thought was, which of us may be the next? A member gives us a vivid glimpse of those days. At one time, he says, every AA group had many membership rules. Everybody was scared witless that something or somebody would capsize the boat and dump us all back into the drink. Our foundation office asked each group to send in its list of protective regulations. The total list was a mile long. 
If all those rules had been in effect everywhere, nobody could have possibly joined AA at all. So great was the sum of our anxiety and fear. We were resolved to admit nobody to AA but that hypothetical class of people we termed quote-unquote pure alcoholics. Except for their guzzling and the unfortunate results thereof, they could have no other complications. This plays really nicely into my well-founded belief that mental health issues and drug use are not outside issues. So, beggars, tramps, asylum inmates, prisoners, queers, plain crackpots, and fallen women. Oh, we're definitely out. I'm a fallen woman. Thank God I'm allowed in. Yes, sir, we'd cater only to pure and respectable alcoholics. Any others would surely destroy us. Besides, if we took in those odd ones, what would decent people say about us? We built a fine mesh fence right around AA. Maybe this sounds comical now. Maybe you think we old-timers were pretty intolerant. But I can tell you, there was nothing funny about the situation then. We were grim because we felt our lives and homes were threatened. And that was no laughing matter. Intolerant, you say? Well, we were frightened. Naturally, we began to act like most everybody does when afraid. After all, isn't fear the true basis of intolerance? Yes, we were intolerant. I just want to make a comment here. I think society outside of AA could really benefit from this message. I find that fear is running the show and nobody is allowed to have an opinion unless it goes along with the popular opinion. So I'm not going to bring politics or religious into this, but what I will say is our society, as in AA or 12-step fellowship, we run on the code as given in our big book that love and tolerance is our code. And I think we run far better than most organizations because we have our 12 steps for our personal recovery, but then we have these beautiful traditions which keeps our society in order. And I think we'd have a lot less violence and a lot less hatred if the world began to practice exactly what we're talking about here. Back to page 140. How could we then guess that all those fears were to prove groundless? How could we know that thousands of these sometimes frightening people were to make astonishing recoveries and become our greatest workers and intimate friends? Was it credible that AA was to have a divorce rate far lower than average? Could we then foresee that troublesome people were to become our principal teachers of patience and tolerance? Could any then imagine a society which would include every conceivable kind of character and cut across every barrier of race, creed, politics, and language with ease? Why did AA finally drop all its membership regulations? Why did we leave it to each newcomer to decide himself whether he was an alcoholic and whether he should join us? Why did we dare to say, contrary to the experience of society and government everywhere, that we would neither punish nor deprive any AA of membership, that we must never compel anyone to pay anything, believe anything, or conform to anything? The answer now seen in Tradition 3 was simplicity itself. At last, any experience taught us that to take away any alcoholic's full chance was sometimes to pronounce her death sentence and often to condemn her to endless misery. 
who dared to be judge, jury, and executioner of their own sick brother or sister? As group after group saw these possibilities, they finally abandoned all membership regulations. One dramatic experience after another clinched this determination until it became our universal tradition. Here are two examples. On the AA calendar, it was year two. Back in the 40s, I would guess. Yeah, early 40s. In that time, nothing could be seen but two struggling, nameless groups of alcoholics trying to hold their faces up to the light. A newcomer appeared at one of these groups, knocked on the door, and asked to be let in. She talked frankly with the group's oldest member. She soon proved that hers was a desperate case and that above all, she wanted to get well. But, she asked, will you let me join your group? Since I am a victim of another education... (laughs) I guess you'd call addiction education, since I am the victim of another addiction even worse stigmatized than alcoholism. You may not want me among you, or will you? There was the dilemma. What should the group do? The oldest member summoned two others and in confidence laid the explosive facts in their laps. Said he, well, what about it? If we turn this woman away, she'll soon die. If we allow her in, only God knows what trouble she'll brew. What shall the answer be, yes or no? At first, the elders could only look at the objections. We deal, they said, with alcoholics only. Shouldn't we sacrifice this one for the sake of the many? So went the discussion while the newcomer's fate hung in the balance. Then one of the three spoke in a very different voice. What we are really afraid of, he said, is a reputation. What we are much more afraid of is what people might say than the trouble this strange alcoholic might bring. As we've been talking, five short words have been running through my mind. Something keeps repeating to me. What would the master do? Not another word was said. What more indeed could be said? Overjoyed, the newcomer plunged into 12-step work. Tirelessly, she laid AA's message before scores of people. Since this was a very early group, those scores have since multiplied themselves into thousands. Never did she trouble anyone with her other difficulty. AA had taken its first step in the formation of Tradition 3. Not long after the man with the double woman with the double stigma knocked for admission, AA's other group received into its membership a salesman we should call Ed. A power driver, this one, and brash as any salesman could possibly be, he had at least an idea a minute on how to improve AA. These ideas he sold to fellow members with the same burning enthusiasm with which he distributed automobile polish. But he had one idea that wasn't so saleable. Ed was an atheist. His pet obsession was that AA could get along better better without its god nonsense. He browbeat everybody, and everybody expected that he'd soon get drunk, for at the time, you see, AA was on the pious side. There must be a heavy penalty, it was thought, for blasphemy. Distressingly enough, Ed proceeded to stay sober. At length, the time came for him to speak in a meeting. We shivered, for we knew what was coming. He paid a fine tribute to the fellowship. He told how his family had been reunited. He extolled the virtue of honesty. He recalled the joys of 12-step work. And then he lowered the boom. Cried Ed, I can't stand this God stuff. It's a lot of malarkey for weak folks. This group doesn't need it, and I won't have it. To hell with it. A great wave of outraged resentment engulfed the meeting, sweeping every member to a single resolve. Out he goes. The elders led Ed aside. 
They said firmly, you can't talk like this around here. You'll have to quit it or get out. With great sarcasm, Ed came back at them. Now do tell, is that so? He reached over to a bookshelf and took up a sheaf of papers. On top of them lay the foreword to the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Then, under preparation, he read aloud, The only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Relentlessly, Ed went on. When you guys wrote that sentence, did you mean it or didn't you? Dismayed, the elders looked at one another, for they knew he had them cold. So Ed stayed. Ed not only stayed, he stayed sober month after month. The longer he kept dry, the louder he talked against God. The group was in anguish so deep that all fraternal charity had vanished. When, oh when, groaned members to one another, will that guy get drunk? Quite a while later, Ed got a sales job, which took him out of town. At the end of a few days, the news came in. He'd sent a telegram for money, and everybody knew what that meant. Then he got on the phone. In those days, we'd go anywhere on a 12-step job, no matter how unpromising. But this time, nobody stirred. Leave him alone. Let him try it by himself for once. Maybe he'll learn a lesson. About two weeks later, Ed stole by night into an AA member's house and, unknown to the family, went to bed. Daylight found the master of the house and another friend drinking their morning coffee. A noise was heard on the stairs. To their consternation, Ed appeared. A quizzical smile on his lips, he said, Have you fellows had your morning meditation? They quickly sensed that he was quite in earnest. In fragments, his story came out. In a neighboring state, Ed had holed up in a cheap hotel. After all his pleas for help had been rebuffed, these words rang in his fevered mind. They have deserted me. I have been deserted by my own kind. This is the end. Nothing is left. As he tossed on his bed, his hand brushed the bureau nearby, touching a book. Opening the book, he read, It was a Gideon Bible. Ed had never confided any more of what he saw and felt in that hotel room. It was the year 1938. He hasn't had a drink since. Nowadays, when old-timers who know Ed foregather, they exclaim, what if we had actually succeeded in throwing Ed out for blasphemy? What would have happened to him and all the others he later helped? So the hand of providence gave us early a sign that any alcoholic is a member of our society when they say so. I just realized I have read this tradition in a previous podcast, but oh well, we can all do to hear everything all the time anyways. So that's why it is so important to me that there are no requirements for membership other than we just want to stop drinking. None of us want to get to the point where we want to stop doing anything, anything, unless we're being tortured by whatever it is. And once the pain of change is greater, is less than the pain of staying the same, that's when we do it. And, you know, line up all the people you've ever met in the rooms of recovery and you won't really find any more purists anymore. Um, it's rare that someone comes in just a quote unquote pure alcoholic. And so whether or not. So here's here's another point I'm going to make, which I think will be really good to tie this in and, and to finish this podcast. I know people who, for their own reasons, which are none of my business, will quote-unquote fire a sponsee because they keep drinking or they're not doing the work. Because of Tradition 3 and because of 
all of the amazing things I've learned in our program because I understand the mind, the heart, the body, the soul, the spirit of an addict and how by the time we want to get recovered, we have so little esteem for ourselves. We've had so many people write us off and rightfully so. It is most important to me at this phase of my service in the program to never fire a sponsee unless there's some kind of abuse, but I've you know, I've never encountered that, even if they still keep relapsing, even if they don't do the work, because I think ours is one of the only places where people will look at each other and say, me too, you're welcome, stay, keep coming back. Like, if we don't let people keep coming back, and what do we mean by when we say stay, it means you don't have to go out and come back. If we don't hang on to that big love that we have for each other in addiction, and we don't have compassion for the alcoholic or the addict who still suffers, we are forgetting what we used to be like. We are no longer in touch with the alcoholic or the addict who still suffered way back when we decided to get sober, or even recently when we decided to get sober. I mean, at the beginning of my recovery, my second AA meeting was a speaker meeting and the guy stood up and said he had nine months and my thought was he's a fucking liar. There is no way that that man calls himself an alcoholic. That man is like me. If he can go nine months without a drink, he's lying. That's impossible. And so maybe this is just a call for us to be kind to each other, to stop judging and start identifying and to not leave each other. I think that we have so many bruises and scarrings and traumas from people that have left us. Almost everyone I've ever come into contact with in the program struggles with the fear of rejection or the fear of abandonment. And I believe God has placed a unique ministry in my heart to look at people and say, I'm never leaving you. I love you. Um, I won't leave you alone in this. I'm here as long as you need help. And I will keep helping you as long as you want help. I can't want it for you. But if you really want to beat this thing, you can always count on me. doesn't mean I'm going to pick up the phone when I'm drunk dialed or high dialed. I mean, we all have our boundaries. But what I'm saying is we can love each other because we understand each other like no one else in this world. So before anyone goes out and says this person is eligible for membership or even worse that person's not really an alcoholic just remember our tradition three you are a member if you say so and the only thing you need to to be desirous of to be in this group is a desire to stop drinking okay let's be good to one another I hope you enjoy Tradition 3, Tradition 3's for you and me. Come back tomorrow and I will do Tradition 4. I love you, bye.